Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It is, of course, the one place to be uh, to get the truth, the whole truth, and not anything but the truth. It is, of course, Budget Day uh, right here, so like everybody else in the media, uh, Talk TV will bring you every cough and spit of it uh, coming up after about 12.30. First, we've got Prime Minister's questions, uh, but we've got a few questions as well, and we want to know what your questions are as well, because we are very lucky uh, to have Justin Urquhart-Stewart here, a man that knows an awful lot about budgets and has covered many of them. Um, he's a man who can answer your questions, so if you have any questions for him and you want to know what the childcare changes mean to you, you want to know what the fuel duty uh, situation is going to be, if you know what the fuel cap is going to be, is it going to affect you, um, if you need to be persuaded to go back to work. Perhaps Justin can answer that question for you, but why on earth do we have a Chancellor who needs to persuade people to go back to work? If we've got a system that makes it better for you not to work because of the benefits that you can get uh, or the allowances that you can get as opposed to the actual salary or the wages that you can get, then there is something very wrong with the economy. And by the way, welcome to all of you who have actually turned up for work today because apparently there's about half a million people who haven't bothered. And amongst those, we include Loads and loads of civil servants, right? Apparently 130,000 civil service and public sector workers in 132 government departments are going to be out today. Border force, so that's probably good news. They'll stop bringing the migrants in. Uh, tax office staff, also good news for Gary Lineker because he doesn't want any more trouble from them. Uh, driving instructors, um, I don't know if they even have any of those left anymore because nobody seems to know how to drive anymore. I was literally driving behind a guy yesterday at 14 miles an hour. For no reason. I don't know what he was doing. Ofsted employees, I don't know what they do, but I'll tell you what they're not doing uh, is checking what's going on in the schools because the schools are actually on strike as well. And, of course, the junior doctors are on strike. And, of course, the tube strike is going on if you happen to be living in London. So, well done if you are at work today. Pat yourself on the back and I don't count you lazy lot working from home. Uh, because there's quite a lot of people doing that anyway. 0344 499 1000. We're going to talk about the BBC. Front page of the BBC this morning. I mean, could it get any worse for them? Heartless. It turns out they're now hounding a woman who has been missing for 14 years. Her mother is distraught. You might remember the case of Claudia Lawrence. She disappeared 14 years ago. Her disappearance sparks a murder probe, right? But her mother is still facing fines. They keep sending out warnings that they're going to fine her in court £1,000 for not paying for her TV licence. I mean, really? Seriously? Does anyone at the BBC know what they're doing? Hopefully this will be the end of it, because now it's on the front page of The Sun. Also, uh, we need to talk about a great many other things, including the rise of the Albanian Mafia. Gavin Mortimer joins us later on from The Spectator. He's our correspondent over in France. He's written a great piece about how the Albanian Mafia have basically taken over Northern Europe and are running not only um, people, but drugs and guns into Britain. It's no joke, and this is part of the migrant problem. 0344 499 1000. Ben Habib is up first. He's, of course, the former Brexit Party MEP, chairman of Brexit Watch. We are the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Let's get it on. A very good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Quite a decent day out there today and actually the traffic wasn't bad because an awful lot of people obviously decided they couldn't come to work because of the tube strike uh, here in London. Uh, and if you are one of those 500,000 people who have taken time off to go on strike, um, good luck to you. Um, if it was up to me, I'd fire all of you. Um, I saw two people on a picket line this morning coming in. There was a time when there was a strike outside a guy's hospital. There'd be about 20 or 30 people there singing, you know, waving banners, chanting. Two blokes with one placard. That's it. So there's your picket line uh, for the junior doctors. Thanks, guys. Thanks very much indeed. Let's talk to Ben Habib. Ben, a very good morning to you. 
Good morning, mate. I mean, I mean it's, I, there's so so much to talk about. I mean, why on earth do we live in a country where we have to persuade people to go back to work? I mean, it's really interesting. You know, in years gone by when, when there was a tube strike, you would find the roads chock-a-block with yeah. cars, with people trying to get into work. The roads this morning were empty in London. Yeah. And, you know, I left the house slightly trepidatiously thinking I won't be able to get to the office in time for this for this chat. Um, but actually, I sailed right in and um, the work ethic has changed. And no amount of the Chancellor splashing the cash is going to incentivize people to come to work. As you said before, uh, at the at the opening of this program, the only way to do it is to make it pay to work. Mm. And right now, actually, sitting at home, collecting benefits is not a million miles away from the from the median wage that you would get after tax if you went into work. What we've really fundamentally got is a broken third world economy where the average wage is so low, the taxes are so high, and the alternative of benefits is so generous that there's no point bothering to make it into work. And this budget, if what we've heard about what's about to be released today, this budget is not, if you know what we've heard is accurate, this budget is not going to address any of that. Instead of cutting the basic rate of tax, he wants to spend more money on child benefit. Four billion pounds on child benefit. I mean, and why? Because apparently the cost of child benefit's gone up. Well, what would you, what, what, what does he think is going to happen to the, to the cost by putting another four billion pounds into the system? Mm. That's demand-led inflation. Yes. He's going to stoke the problem. What he needs to do is he also, cut the by the way, ben, rate of tax. Let me just interrupt yeah. you for a second. He doesn't have the money. It's our money he's, he's using for this, right? I know. I know. And that's the other thing. If he spends four billion pounds on child credits, you know, child care credits, he has revealed that for the last four or five months, he's been lying to us when he says that fiscal probity requires him not to cut taxes. Four billion pounds is the equivalent of one percent cut in the basic rate of tax which is what Liz Trust wanted to do. So why doesn't he cut the basic rate of tax, allow people to decide how they want to spend their money, not for him to micromanage us and tell us that actually those of you who've got one to two-year-old children need to put them into child daycare. Mm. We want to break up families. We want mothers not to mother their, their children. We want them in the workforce. How, who is he to socially manage the way our economy operates? Mm. Mm. He should Absolutely. just cut the rate of tax and let people get back to work and incentivise people through the tax system to work. And then they can choose what they wish to do with their own money. You know, Absolutely. If they want buy, to pay buy a for... sofa if you want. Well, exactly yeah. right, because I'm also hearing this morning different people talking about it in different ways. I mean, Julia, for example, this morning, Julie Hartley Brewer saying that it's, it's, it's possible within this system that he's created, uh, you could have two parents making around 100000 each, they could be making £200,000 in their household, and they still qualify for this 30 hours of free childcare. It's bonkers, isn't Absolutely. It? It's a blunt instrument. It's a bit like extending the cap on, on uh, average fuel costs of £2,500 a year. Why is he doing that? Why have they not cut VAT on fuel? Why have they not eliminated green taxes on fuel? Why are they intent on spending rather than cutting taxes? Mm. They keep telling us that they're a conservative government, that their aim is to cut tax as soon as they can, and yet they keep spending, which means they're basically increasing taxes to spend. This is a borrow, tax and spend government. And let's just put this into context. You know, when this government came to power in 2010, there were 480,000 people working in the civil service. Now there are 530,000 people working in the civil service. 
for all the uh, insults they throw at their, their civil service and the way that they prevent the government ministers from doing what they wish to do, actually, they're increasing the problem. We don't need another 10% increase in the civil service. What we need is the state to row back, to cut its own costs, and to pump money into the private sector through the through cutting taxes so the private sector can grow and at, with the growth in the private sector the government would automatically get better and higher revenues it is completely absurd what jeremy hunt is doing and if today if he splashes the cash in the way that uh, you know the, the the papers have um trailed mm. then i think we can regard rishi sunak and jeremy hunt as absolutely lying through the teeth when they say that they're a tax-cutting conservative government well, they're a bit like the NHS strikers, aren't they, when they say we don't really want to go on strike, but, 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 but there you are anyway, standing there, not doing any work for three days in the case of the junior doctors. You know, the government keeps saying, oh, we don't want to really be raising taxes, but they keep doing it. As my father used to say, judge people by what they do, not by what they say. Yeah, and it, it, it's, it's abhorrent to me that, you know, what is, what is democracy? You know, I don't want to get caught in this philosophical discussion, but what is democracy? At, the, at this very basic level, it's allowing people to keep what they earn and choose what they wish to do with it. Mm. And this government will not allow us to keep the cash that we earn. It's intent on taxing us. It's intent on then micromanaging our behavior through various grant systems and uh, how, it, how it chooses to spend the cash. Mm. That is socialism. And we are becoming an increasingly socialist state under this so-called conservative government. Right. They haven't got a clue about private enterprise. They're sitting on private enterprise's neck. And today they're going to increase corporation tax from 19% to 25%. Let me tell you, a lot of businesses are already leaving the United Kingdom. Mm. Investment is shutting down. We saw AstraZeneca deciding to open in the Republic of Ireland rather than in England. And remember, pharma used to be, uh, and still I hope to a significant extent remains, a, 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 a British sort of preserve, mm. you know, research and development of medicines was something that we did as a country incredibly well. But to see AstraZeneca moving from England to the Republic of Ireland is, is, is terrible. It's terrible. Yeah, for but the it's UK a no brainer, isn't it? It's a no brainer. You know, 12% versus 19%, soon to be 25%. I mean, it's Absolutely. less than half of what we're going to be taxing them for. And this is the thing. You know, we keep saying, oh, well, we can't think of any more taxes they can put on us. Let's face it, people are opening up their council tax bills this month for the next year to see that they've gone up by several hundred pounds a year, in some cases, even more than that. So everything that is being run by this socialist government, and you're absolutely right to call it that is absolutely useless. You know, look at all of the utilities not working at all. The regulators of those utilities clearly not working. You know, we've just seen a report that's come out today where if you count all of the beaches that have got dangerous levels of sewage on, it's basically every beach in Britain. You know, the water companies aren't doing their jobs. The electricity companies aren't doing their jobs. They're ripping us off. You know, the train companies are useless. This is socialism because you can tell it's socialism because nothing works. Uh, you know, if we had a Swedish form of socialism where they do have very high taxes, but they have public sector that absolutely works. Their train system is first class. Their medical system is first class. Mm. We are breaking. And this is after record spending, record taxation. Remember, taxation at a 70-year high, debt to GDP at a historic high. We haven't seen that level since World War II mm. either. Yeah. Inflation at a historic high. All these highs... And yet the government can't make this wretched public sector operate properly. 
it is a complete breakdown in governance. The more power the government takes on, the, the bigger the state becomes, the less functioning our system becomes. Mm. It is broken. Britain is broken and it's been broken by this so-called self-professed conservative yeah. government, which is actually nothing more than the. It, we might as well have Keir Starmer in power right now. You know, it couldn't be any worse than this lot. Well, I mean, I'm beginning to wonder. It's like they've created this sort of public sector eight-headed beast um, that they can't control anymore because it's so huge now that no matter how much money they throw at it, the money just disappears into a vast black hole behind the it beast. Is. The beast demands more money, uh, demands um, less efficiency from the people that work inside the business. Yeah. Uh, people are off sick for most of the year. They don't do anything. You know, look at the BBC. The BBC is a great example of how big... Public corporations are useless, not fit for purpose, and completely and utterly incapable of fixing their problems. Yeah, and we saw this morning the police who've been in the crosshairs of blame for failure to actually fulfil their jobs, spending £440,000 framing pictures of certificates they're going to hand out to members of the police force to make them feel better yeah. because they can't pay them adequately. Maybe, maybe, so they'd they be better off, a... maybe they'd be better off just sending victims of crime a picture of a police officer so that we can remember what they look like. How about that? <laughs> no, you know? Exactly. I mean, <laughs> it's enough to just make you hold your head in your hands and wonder what the hell is going on with the country. Yeah. I just I can't understand this government at all. And the people aren't stupid. They will look at the budget. They'll see the the cash being spent in the way that the Chancellor wishes to spend it. And they'll see their taxes going up and they will realise that this government is denuding them of their right to make decisions on how they spend their money. And they're going to be turfed out of office and they deserve to be turfed out of office. And yes, no doubt Labour will be worse, but how much worse could they be? Yeah. You know, well, I said, ben, I said, I'm going to ask you to take a little breather because we're going to come back in a moment. But I said um, last year, that it would be better off to have an election, get Starmer in, let him mess up the economy even more, and then maybe the Conservative Party can become Conservative again and stand for elections a proper Conservative Party with proper Conservative actual, you know, manifesto promises and commitments. But Ben Habib is here with us. We'll take more uh, from him coming up very shortly. Uh, we've got to talk about all manner of things through this show, including the, the rise of the Albanian mafia. Uh, we're going to be taking your questions. If you've got any questions about the budget, about your personal situation, uh, by all means, send them in to us. You can tweet them at Talk TV at IROMG 87222 is the number uh, for a text message that'll cost you 50p plus your normal sending charges we're going to talk about Cheltenham as well Alan Brazil's back he's down there for Talk Sport this is Talk TV Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV we're talking to Ben Habib about the uh, crisis that we're currently facing uh, crises, I suppose, would be more accurate. Um, I was looking up the, uh, the definition of one of those horrible beasts. It's a hydra is what I was thinking of, Ben. It's actually a nine-headed beast. Uh, it's actually grown an extra head uh, since all these workers went out on strike. But, but it's the uncontrollable hydra of public sector spending, I think, we're dealing with here. But another story which, uh, which I've spotted this morning, a, stu a study by um, LinkedIn has found that over a third of employees have said they would resign from their jobs if they were told to return to the office full-time. I mean, I don't know what to say, really. I mean, the idea that people don't want to go to work, I can understand people wanting to stay at home, but why would office um, organisers and managers want people to do that? I mean, it's, it's extraordinary that that should be even allowed to be tolerated by employers. I had a meeting with, you know, I've employed people for many years. I'm in 
you know, private business. And I had a meeting with my staff on Monday mm. and I said, absolutely no way is it ever going to be a policy of my company that people have a right to work at home mm. at any given day on a week. I know that people work a hell of a lot better when they're in the office. You can brainstorm, you chat to each other, you have new ideas, you develop those ideas, and actually you deal with the administrative stuff of work much better in the office environment as well. I know it personally from my own, uh, you know, when I've had to be at home, I find myself not working in the same way as I do in the office. And I know it from watching, you know, members of staff. So anyone who says you can work perfectly well at home is talking rubbish. You work a lot better in the office. There may be some limited sectors, you know, where you're performing a function and it is just perfunctory, if you like, and there's no real added value uh, in what you do that you can do from home. But even there, I suspect people don't function at the same level as they would if they were in an office environment. So I think there's no excuse for it. We're becoming, we're, we're becoming a lazy nation and we've got to get our backsides back into the office, back to the workplace and start motoring if this economy is to ever grow. Mm. You know, remember GDP is roughly the same now as it was when the, when the Conservatives came into office and the population of the country has gone up about 10%. Yeah. So GDP per capita and productivity with it is, is flatlining. Mm. It's decreasing. It's awful. You know, we are not, we're, we're going to fast become a third world nation, Mike. You know, this notion that we will always somehow survive, that British amateurism will win through in the end, is a fundamentally flawed notion. If yeah. we think that we can go on behaving like this, and still maintain our preeminent position in the world. Forget it. Mm. You know, there will be people snapping at our heels. They are snapping at our heels. We will lose our position in the, in the world and we will become a poor country. And we've got to stop this attitude of, you know, working from home, um, this namby-pamby, molly-coddled, quivering lower lip, mm. inability to, you know, move forward with confidence, working hard um, and getting on with life. Yes. You know, it's, it's awful. Well, don't worry. I've got some good news for you, Ben. There has been a breakthrough this morning because there's going to be some people working um, not from home because they can't work from home, um, but they'll be working from your home. And what I'm talking about is hundreds of burglars who are going to be released by the prison service to make room for some other prisoners. So they'll all be coming out soon um, and working, as I say, from your house, my house, everybody else's house, but not their own house, because obviously there's no point in burglaring their own house. But, you know, what is going on? You know, they're releasing yeah. people. What do they think they're going to do when they get out? The first thing they're going to do is probably go to some, um, you know, signing on process, and then they're going to start making more burglaries it's what they do it's what they're used to doing and by the time they've yeah. made it into prison they've probably committed about 30 to 40 offenses so these are professional burglars who are being let out into the streets to burgle your house and I, and actually mike you know as the economy you know swivels around in ever decreasing circles um you're going to more people are going to end up being becoming criminals because Ends have to be made to meet somehow. And if costs are very high and you can't earn the money, you will turn to other means. So the government is creating a rod for its own back. It's, it's, it's terrible. I mean, I, I can't tell you how pessimistic I am for the medium to long term uh, future of the United Kingdom unless we really immediately turn uh, our attitudes around and our government policies around. It's, we, we need a sea change in 
uh, attitude if this country is to be saved. But is it the case, do you think, that there will only be a sea change if, in fact, this government is gone? Because I don't see the government at the moment changing itself and changing. I mean, you know, the net zero no, business not. is still very much high on their agenda. You know, as long as um, uh, Jeremy Hunt is in the uh, Chancellor's office, they're never going to bring taxes down. As long as Rishi Sunak is in the Prime Minister's chair, it's always going to be more about style over substance. You know, I think we just yeah. need to get them out. Yeah, the whole point about a democracy is to reject those who fail. And failure must never be uh, rewarded with incumbency. And no matter how much this government at the next election point the finger at Labour and say, you know, we know we're bad, but they're even worse, we have to boot this government out. Whatever the price, we have to boot this government out. They have to know, the Conservative Party has to know that it can't behave like this and expect to be returned to office. It would be a dereliction of every voter if they vote Conservative at the next election. Mm. This government has to go. 13 years of Conservative failed government must be responded to by a good kick in the arse at the next general election. I couldn't have put it better myself. Well said. Ben Habib, thank you very much indeed. Uh, Chairman of Brexit Watch, former Brexit Party MEP, of course, a man who cares passionately about this country. Uh, we spent some time talking about it at the weekend. And in the end, there is something very rotten at the heart of this government. There is something very rotten at the heart of this whole country. And at the moment, nobody really seems to know how to fix it. How about this uh, from Andy? He says, Mike, I'm a stay-at-home dad bringing up my three-year-old and another baby due in the next few weeks. We have saved for years beforehand, so I could be off work for a few years. We do not claim any benefits. My wife works full-time. We did not want strangers bringing my young children up and will not be told by Jeremy Hunt when to go back to work. I will go back to work when the children go to school full-time. And that's a perfectly reasonable point of view to take, Andy, and a perfectly reasonable point of view to have. As Ben Habib said... Surely the more simple way to do this would be to give people more of their own money to keep and then they can decide what to do with it. If you tax people less, they will have more money to spend and they can choose to spend it on childcare if they so wish, rather than handing out vouchers that they don't necessarily need. How about this from Danny in Tamworth? Mike, usually there's a section of the BBC News app that shows the paper's headlines and a brief description of the story. I've checked this out and he's right. Surprise, surprise, the Sun newspaper with the BBC branded Heartless is missing today. Unbiased, they say. Please read this out. Well, of course. Of course they're biased. This story, heartless, about the BBC chasing somebody for a £1,000 fine for not paying a TV licence. She's been missing for 14 years. The police fear that she's been murdered. Her mother doesn't need that hassle. Stop doing it, you planks. This is Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It is budget day, so we are joined through the show uh, by Justin Urquhart-Stewart, a man that knows a thing or two uh, about the economy and also about what is likely to be said by Jeremy Hunt coming up later on. If you've got any questions, you can by all means send them in and we will attempt to get them answered for you. We're going to try to get to the bottom of a few things before the budget kicks off at around about 12.30 today. Just before we say hello to Justin, though, let me say hello to Susan, who's in Lancashire, uh, who wants to talk about the strikes. Hello, Susan. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Good. Um, I just wanted to make a suggestion regarding the poor patient who can't get an appointment with their local GP. Yes. Uh, some are waiting two or three weeks for appointments. Mm. I've got a suggestion. Go on. That they get in their cars and go to the local hospital, as there are loads of doctors there on the sidewalks, yeah. and they can have loads of help and stand in the road and get loads of consultations from all those doctors. That's where you find them, isn't it? 
Yeah, where do you find yeah. a bo doctor these days? Can't get a doctor, just go to the picket line. Brilliant. It's a fantastic <laughs> idea. As long as you turn into a drive-through sort of doctor's surgery. Yeah. Yeah? Fantastic. What a great idea. Susan, thank you very much. You see, the world is full of people with genius ideas, but none of them are in the government. I mean, that is absolutely brilliant. Uh, Justin Urquhart Stewart is I here. love it. A drive-through. Yeah. You just, uh, just go, uh, go enjoy the picket line. Yeah. Whilst you're here, you can sort out my... Uh, yeah. My, my... Well, I mean, this is the thing now. When somebody calls in sick and says, look, I'm sorry, I've got a dentist appointment, you go, no, you haven't. There's no way you've got a dentist appointment. There aren't any. You can't get one. Um, but, I mean, I passed the picket line this morning. There's now two people. There used to be about 20 people on yeah. the NHS picket line by Guy's Hospital. This morning there's two with one single placard looking a bit like the guys from um, Father Ted, you know, down yes. with this sort of thing. Just ridiculous. Anyway, welcome. And thank thank you. you. You've been here already for several hours working with Julie Hartley Brewer, giving us a lowdown on all sorts of things. A couple of things I wanted to, to yep. check with you. The childcare um, sort of... Uh, vouchers or however they're going to make them available. Mm. I heard Julia saying that you could possibly be in, uh, in receipt of a couple of hundred thousand pounds of income and you'd still be eligible for these. It's 30 hours, but for some people it might not work purely and simply because it depends on the council that you're getting the childcare from or the place you're getting it from. It is, uh, you know, again, we made it so complicated. Yeah. It should be absolutely straightforward mm. and also should be related to your income. Right. People sit there and say, well, if you're earning so much, you're not entitled to it. Well, just make it taxable. Put it on your tax return mm. and therefore you end up paying tax for these things. I'm very grateful. I get, um, I get a fuel allowance. Why? Yeah. Why do I get a fuel allowance? I don't need that. Um, they should, so they say, but of course, well, they always say, don't they, but it would be more expensive to try and sort of uh, means test it yeah. and we'd end up having to hire more people to work on it. Well, why is the government incapable of doing things yeah. um, where, where other people would do them automatically. Exactly. But if you're not going to means test it, just make it, put it on your tax return. So there you are, now you've got it there. So mm. and if, you're going to, if you're not going to pay your tax return, then you're going to be in breach of the law. So, right. But no, get people to use the tax system in a simple way. Good God, it's, co it's complicated enough. Yes. One of the things I'd really love to see, which we won't see, is the tax simplification mm. process. We actually used to have an office of tax simplification. I'm right. not sure if it's shut or not. I presume we've now got an office of tax complication. Oh, almost certainly. Or overcomplication. <laughs> oh, you know, but it is maddening, isn't it? Because nobody really understands budgets. Always no. on budget day, people like yourself can explain them, and that's why you're here. Um, in terms of things like the fuel cap, for example, the energy cap, I'm under the impression, I'm not sure if it's wrong, that Rishi Sunak announced that they were going to extend the, the, the payment, the monthly payment, for a further three months, because it was due to run out, yep. wasn't it? Is that right? So yep. have they extended that? Uh, well, we're going to find out more today as to actually whether that's going to be the case. And actually, the government finds itself in quite a good position mm. because the cost of it uh, was incredibly high before, but actually the cost of it now has come down quite significantly. Yeah. So they can afford to actually run it forward a bit more. Right. But it's still going to be very expensive. Well, when they say the cap is going to be now 2500 ah. is that because of the aid that they will give people, or is that just because of what they hope will be the case? Oh, remember, the isn't necessarily actually the amount you're no, going to get. No, no. Oh, well, no, it's not the amount you're going to be forward. charged, is it? You, nobody knows. No. So it's, it is you know, really a confusing issue for yeah. everybody. Again, you could simplify that by mm. saying, right, OK, we're going to put in a, an additional benefit for people. Again, put it through the tax system. And therefore, if you're not entitled to it, you just actually just put that yes. and get charged for it. Don't make life more complicated. But it is one of the more... Um, incredible sort of expenses that people have had to incur in the last, say, six months, particularly in business, particularly... I mean, I was listening to Holly Hudson, who we were talking to later on in the show, up in Blackpool last night, talking to a couple of hoteliers yep. who were saying, you know, obviously our business has been impacted massively by the energy bills, by the fact that everything that we buy in has gone up because of the price of energy. Yep. All of the local food that they buy, all of the drink, all of the deliveries, everything has gone up as a result of the energy cost. And so 
Um, you know, that is a massive increase in people's cost of living right there. Absolutely. And I'm afraid you're already starting to see this. I mean, yeah. we go down some of the high streets and you can see some of the shops now beginning to close, mm. particularly some of the smaller restaurants, yeah. cafes and those sort of things. Right. Now, remember, our great strength as an economy has been in that setting up smaller businesses. We've actually been very successful, better than France and Germany. I think last year before last, we set up more than France and Germany put together. Mm. What we're really bad at is financing them to grow. So we end up with a lot of quite small little businesses. And where we're actually really rather good at ones, which is, say, the tech industries mm. um, and the high-tech ones, particularly around some of the universities, again, where you have you know, Silicon Roundabout, Silicon Glen, Silicon, yes. Silicon Implant or something Don't like that. Silicon Banks. Silicon Banks, yeah, yes. Yeah, that didn't go too well this week. One. Whoops. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but actually, we're quite good at those technology areas. Um, and so we can actually focus on developing more of those, mm. not not trying to develop things like HS2 yeah. uh, or some of the more old-fashioned areas, yeah. where you can actually do that in a responsible manner, not getting carried away with things like cryptocurrencies mm. and all those sorts of things. Good old-fashioned mechanisms. Well, good old-fashioned mechanisms for fixing things. You know, yeah. It's all very well talking about pie-in-the-sky HS2, trains that are going to travel at 250 miles an hour, but it remarkably won't actually travel at 250 miles no. an hour, and will only get you somewhere six minutes quicker, which is half an hour away from where you want it to be. So anyway, that's my uh, argument against HS2. Potholes, another one. People care about potholes. People yep. drive around uh, in their cars more and more now because, as we know today, for example, the tube's on strike. Right. Several rail lines are on strike. You can't really get around the country if you live in rural parts of it in any other form of transport apart from having your own car. But the roads are terrible. Yeah, and so the basic elements to actually make sure your local area is being looked after and uh, no, right, uh, m- measured up to the right sort of level. Mm. And our councils should be quite capable of doing this. This is not a complicated issue. Mm. I, mean, I was actually looking the other day where I live in West London. Now, a mini roundabout, mini roundabout was over £300,000. Now, I used to work on the road. <laughs> many years ago right. when in Pod District and students yeah. and that's where you made your money <laughs> I mean that's where the money is working on the roads is a very well, a very successful say, business that. in those days when you used to have uh, used to have uh, the, uh, the various ta- strange taxation systems yeah. uh, to actually uh, work as a labourer mm. you used to actually earn quite a lot oh, yeah. but actually you'd you'd see them, what they were being charged local authorities for this was just outrageous yeah. um, now again it's down to common sense councillors don't actually have to go along with that they can actually apply that by utilising people who uh, they can trust. It's mm. not in their mates around the corner doing right. it. And if it's not coming out at the right price, throw it back. Yes. Um, you've got to But that's the other thing. People are in receipt this very month of a new council tax bill, inevitably, which oh. has gone up by at least 5%, hundreds and hundreds of pounds extra for an awful lot of people in this country, um, which is more money they have to find. Yep. And the services are actually worse. Yeah, and it's, it is any other business. What would you be doing? You'd actually say, I'm going somewhere else. I have to say, one of the problems we've got in this country, you know, is you look at the service you're getting from all those uh, large supplies, electricity, water, all mm. the telephones, and this, that, and the other, and we, we all have to go through it. We dread having to phone them up because mm. you're going to have to wait at least an, <laughs> half an yeah. hour to an hour. I went through this yesterday with an issue because for some strange reason, I seem to be now in a position where Thames Water owe me £2,000. Well, this, is, this goes feeds back into <laughs> my um, assertion that you should never give these people access to your bank account no. uh, because they'll just take and take and take and eventually sometimes they'll end up taking too much. But Justin, we'll be back with you soon. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, as I said, if you've got any questions for Justin, uh, by all means, let us know what they are. I'm delighted to say that my earlier uh, suggestion that if you text us 87222, you'll be charged 50 pence plus your standard network rate. Apparently, we've got rid of that, so you can do it for just your basic standard network rate, which is brilliant. Don't miss a moment of the Cheltenham Festival on Talk Sport. 
you know it makes sense. Uh, you can listen to it on DAB, of course. Download the app or via TalkSport.com. Alan Brazil's back as well, as if you wouldn't know. The question is, will he be there for the whole week? Uh, that's the question everybody's been asking. And we'll bring you some stories on Alan Brazil coming shortly. But first of all, before we take some more of your calls, let us talk about this dreadful situation on the front page of The Sun this morning. Uh, you can see they've got a lot of Cheltenham coverage as well, but they've got a headline that says Heartless. And it refers to what I can only describe as possibly one of the worst stories I've ever read about a media organisation. Basically, what the BBC have been doing, in addition to having one of the worst weeks in their entire history, they send out warnings to people to pay their television. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Licenses. They've sent out fines for people who don't pay their television licence. 52,000 people were fined following TV licence prosecutions. Those are the latest figures we have from the year 2020. But we can be pretty sure that that will be the same every single year. So in excess of 50,000 people are fined for watching television without a licence. Don't let anybody ever tell you that the BBC is kind. Don't let anybody ever tell you that the BBC uh, is straight with you. Don't let anybody ever tell you, oh, it's only a few pence a week. You know, it's value for money. Um, it's much more cheap than Netflix. Well, Netflix don't come and knock down your door and take you to court if you don't pay for your subscription. You Also, you don't have to buy Netflix. You don't have to buy Amazon. But you do have to buy a TV licence, even if you don't have a TV, if you wish to watch live television. If you're watching this show on an iPad and you're watching it live, you need a TV licence. That, to me, is an anachronism. It's ludicrous. But wait until you hear what they're doing now. They're actually pursuing a woman who has been missing for 14 years. Claudia Lawrence, you may remember, went missing. She went to work at York University one day 14 years ago. The BBC, incredibly, are chasing her for money. They keep sending letters to the home where she once lived, which is looked after by her mother, Joan Lawrence, who's 79 years of age. She went there to pick up some post, and once again, despite asking the BBC to stop, despite even asking the police to get involved and stop the harassment of a woman who has been missing for 14 years, who may well not be even alive, but who may have been murdered, Unbelievably, a 79-year-old woman is being harassed by the BBC for a licence fee fine of £1,000. It's disgraceful, it's disgusting, and it must stop now. But can you imagine anything worse befalling the BBC than what has happened to them this week? It's been very clear that nobody is running the clattering train. 
Gary Lineker is another story. So indeed is Fiona Bruce. But the BBC is so focused on its own navel that it can't even understand that this kind of behaviour is despicable, unnecessary and completely and utterly disgusting, as indeed it has been described. So let's just stop. Just call off the dogs, guys. 52,000 people fined, terrified, made to be feeling shame because they haven't paid a TV licence to watch Strictly Come Dancing. I mean, do me a favour. I've got a good mind just to stop paying it now until you sort your house out. Do it. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It's all happening today. We've got the budget. Uh, we've got Jeremy Hunt getting up at around about 12.30 after Prime Minister's questions. Rishi Sunak and Sakir Starmer going at it, of course. Uh, we've got Nick Dubois to talk to in this hour. We've also got Marco Longhi down on College Green. We've got Peter Cardwell joining us as well. Holly Hudson uh, is up in Blackpool uh, with a look at what the budget means for ordinary people in this country. And also, as if all that's not enough, this is all just in one hour, right? Uh, Gavin Mortimer is here from The Spectator as well. Uh, he's written an amazing piece, very interesting piece, about the rise of the Albanian mafia uh, in Europe and how uh, not only human trafficking is being manhandled by them and masterminded by them, but also drug trafficking and weapons trafficking. Nice bunch of people, the Albanian mafia, I have to say. Uh, look out, uh, because they're going to come to a neighbourhood near you uh, quite soon. 0344 499 um, Dean says, it's all very well blasting parents, stating if you can't afford to have children, don't have them. Many of these parents probably could afford to have them when they made that decision. Uh, Mike, please stop classing people all working from home as lazy. I used to do a one to one and a half to two hour commute every single day pre-COVID on an eight hour day. I'm a freelancer who now works 60 to 70 hours a week, sometimes 80 plus actual effort working from home. But in fact, I sometimes need to force myself to down tools as it's easy to keep going, says Ben. Well, it suits you, Ben. But what I'm saying is, is that for the general good of the economy, the general good of the populace, the general good of the human race, you'd be better off. I'm not saying travelling distances like that and hours like that, but travelling into an office to do your work. Maybe you need to find an office that's a bit nearer. That's what I would suggest. Roger is a very sensible man. He says, I've arranged to do most of my work at the weekends so that I can watch the Independent Republican Mike Graham every day. How sensible of you. Let's talk to Nick Dubois, a former Conservative MP, CBE, of course, no uh, less. Nick, a very good morning to you. Uh, good morning to you, Mike. Now, I mean, on the subject of working from home, I see that you picked up, as I did, that story in The Times today, saying that, you know, a, three, a third of workers would quit if they were forced to come back to the office full time. I mean, I fear, and I don't like saying this, that, that people like you and I are sort of losing this battle to get everybody back to the office. Well, I, I'm actually slightly more optimistic than you for a change on that this That does make a change. No, I, I, think the, uh, I think the employers, as you'll read in the same report, Month uh, month on month, there is less there's less adverts going out where employers are saying we'd love you to come and work for us um, and you can all work from home. It's mm. reducing. The market is changing. Bigger, bigger names are recognizing that they are losing lots, quite a lot more by people not working in a collegiate fashion in the office. Many are going for a hybrid model, by the way, you know, three days in the office, two days at home or whatever. But the point is, this isn't just about um uh, the, the argument that working from home is convenient and you save costs. What the businesses are saying is we're not getting value. We're losing our creative thinking. The business is suffering and we are becoming less competitive. So that's that is changing. And that's a good thing. 
employees, according to this survey, you know, so I think it was saying, um, correct me if I'm wrong, something like a third, right, will leave if they are forced mm. back to the office. Well, my question is, where are you going to go? Because if there is a reduction in the supply side where people are saying you can work from home, I think that's a bit of an idle threat. Yeah, I think absolutely right. What do you think of this uh, back to work budget, though? Because uh, my worry is that if the Chancellor of the Exchequer is having to sort of bribe people to go back to work, something's gone wrong further down the pipe. Well, you know, the numbers are extraordinary. It's something like nine million who are economically inactive. And, and, and we're not really talking about this now, but a huge number of those are long term sick. I do think something's gone horribly wrong there, if that's the case. Uh, but there's at least two million who could go back into the workplace. We have one million vacancies roughly at the moment, despite the low unemployment figures. So what's going wrong? I mean, the good news about this is that government and employers have finally recognised if you're over 50, you're actually a really good catch for companies. You're experienced, you can bring, you've got a workplace ethic, you've got a work ethic, mm. in fact. This is really proven. That's the point. So I think there's some good stuff going there. I'm not convinced, apart from the changes to pensions, which will allow people like doctors, consultants and so forth, to actually no longer use as a reason not to work the fact they'd be worse off. Mm. I think there's some, some uh, you know, there's an interesting culture change here, but I am slightly sceptical that these measures that we have yet to hear about formally will make a big difference. Mm. You know, for me, I don't think a tax change is going to make you go back to work. There'll be lots of other reasons and it'll be nice to have a tax incentive, but I don't think that's going to do it on its own. No, I don't think so. Because if you're a doctor and you decide that you're going to work three days a week instead of five, there's a lot of reasons for that. It's not simply because you've sort of been tipped over the edge by the fact that, you know, you can't put anything else into your pension. It doesn't grow anymore. Because if you want to be a doctor, surely you're doing that for an awful lot of reasons, including that you want to help people. You know, but now apparently, apparently we're, we're now uh, recruiting doctors who don't want to help people. We've got junior doctors out for the second day on a strike. They're going to be out again tomorrow. Three day strike. Unbelievable. A lot, a lot in there, Mike. And on the strikes, let me just remind you, uh, in case no one had noticed, there's three strikes going on today, I think, as far as I'm aware. I think it's even more than that, actually. It's half yeah, a million well, people are out at the moment. Well, including the, um, including our branches of the civil service, yeah. and the junior doctors. And the truth of the matter is, these strikes, I think, have lost their momentum. Because, totally. um, you know, they're, they're going to continue. You can see them slowly being picked off one by one. You go past the picket lines now, which about, uh, you know, two, three months ago, you'd have 20, 30, mm. maybe 40 people out. You're lucky if you can scrape together half a dozen now. Yeah. So I think in a way, um, times have changed and the unions haven't caught up with it. And we'll slowly see these dissipate. The government are going to make settlements, but nowhere near some of the ridiculous asking um, uh, uh, numbers that were coming from unions, not least the junior doctors. Uh, so I think on that point, I, I would go back to the consultants point, And this is quite interesting because I think the pension change being made today to make it attractive to effectively save more and work longer by not having you screwed through your pension um, effectively. This is wholly designed for consultants. It'll affect about two million pretty well paid people. So mm. it's not going to be a, a game changer. But it, it, there is clear evidence that a lot of consultants are saying, I'm going to end up paying to work. That's a daft situation. So I think it's it's sensible what he's doing. Just one final uh, thought, Nick. An interesting piece that you saw in The Times yesterday about the Silicon Valley Bank 
business. Mm. Um, um, a difficult story to navigate for those of us who are not particularly financially, um, you know, brilliant. But on the banking system alone, your your tweet says that yesterday the banks once again did more damage in one day than even the trust administration did in 44 days. Interesting. Yeah, and, and who's going to be held to account for that? Liz Truss lost her job, Kwasi Kwarteng lost their job. Uh, and, and whatever you think of that, the fact is the stock market dropped 5%, I think, over the the um uh, 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 over the lifetime of um uh, the trust government and yeah. and particularly on budget day we saw huge drops um uh, in one day uh, in the market and and okay that'll recover as it's recovered post trust government but who's been held to account for banks poor judgment once again which by the way would have affected an awful lot of people as their funds were going down as their pensions were being ripped apart and investment dropped and the bottom bottom line is guess what no bankers are going to be held to account as far as i can tell no they'll still be buying their maseratis and lamborghinis won't they absolutely brilliant uh, nick thank you very much indeed nick dubois cbe former conservative mp author of course of confessions of a recovering mp speaking of uh, mps let us go and talk to one now marco longi conservative mp for dudley north uh, is outside parliament just ahead of prime minister's questions um he's conservative mp for dudley north as i say marco very good morning to you Good morning to you, Mike. I hope that's not the budget that's been stolen by somebody as it's going behind you. I don't think it's Steve Bray. (laughs) I heard he was down there. Yes, he was. Yes, he's such a bore, isn't he? It's a good job he's not here when I'm here. Yeah, Yeah. Marco, the question I've got for you this morning, and the one I've asked everybody, is it's a bit of a bad place to be, is it not, if the Chancellor has to try and persuade people to go back to work? It's not a good position to be in at all, and I think it's one of the side effects of paying people to stay at home, their 80% of their salaries, and it's created a culture, if you like, of uh, being able to get something for nothing, and uh, I think we need to change that. And I think you're quite right in your previous speaker when he said that it's actually sometimes those people above uh, the age of 50, like you, like me, who've got that work ethic and I think it's quite quite uh, destructive for some of the younger generation to believe that it's all going to be fine and dandy mm. being able to flip open your laptop and actually not even work from home but work from your bed. Yes. Uh, so that that is not the real world and, and that is going to have to change some way. It really is. We're seeing uh, as we speak, Marco, the Chancellor holding up the famous red box as he uh, makes his journey to the House of Commons. Um, I mean, by and large, um, again, there's an opportunity here for people to look forward to having maybe less tax being paid by them, but unfortunately it doesn't look that way. I mean, what can you promise the people of this country, the people who voted Conservative, who were hoping to get a party that weren't a party of high taxation. When on earth are we going to see a tax cut for the people? Well, what I can promise as a Conservative, as the Member of Parliament uh, for Dudley North, is that I will keep on championing those uh, true Conservative values of low taxation, aspiration and giving people as much as letting them keep as much of the money as they can possibly earn uh, to spend in the way that they wish. 
Uh, high tax is always regressive, uh, it discourages investment. Uh, lower taxes does the exact opposite, it encourages investment, it's good for jobs and that has always been my position and that remains unchanged. What I do think the government is right to do is to bring back that sense of stability in the system. It's right to focus on bringing down inflation. Mike, you and I are both old enough bringing up this age thing again which you're not going to thank me for. <laughs> I remember when interest rates were 15%. So do I. And large numbers of people, people who work for me in my office in Dudley, uh, they're all in their late 20s and they've never experienced anything like throughout their whole lifetime they've only had interest rates of half a percent, one percent, one and a half percent. I remember it being 15. It's the most destructive thing at household level, at yeah. business level and for the whole economy. Yeah. What I will say is because global energy prices are going to come down, even if the government did nothing at all, inflation would come down anyway. So please, 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 Chancellor, please focus on where we can actually uh, support growth, growth in the economies through growth that we will actually be um, getting back to a more prosperous time, yeah. which we all, all well, are I working think we need hard to, get to away. Achieve. We need to get away from this, um, this kind of concept of handing out money uh, and just giving people, um, you know, grants and giving people cash in order to pay for things which they can't afford because although obviously in the case of heating it's something that you need to be able to afford you know it's a ridiculous concept because it's not actually government money it's our money you know so they're using our own money to subsidize other people and I think it's wrong and I think it's incredibly unconservative but I'm also not quite old enough to remember Harold Macmillan I have to say Marco whose phrase was you've never had it so good um, and I think the people of this country don't realize quite how high the standard of living is now compared to what it used to be and they can't even fathom that it could get a lot worse but it could uh, you're absolutely right and I think it's not just the money, although it usually does come back to that, but this sense that somehow the state has to step in when there's ever possibly a problem. Uh, you know, we'll soon be finding that if people can't afford their mobile phones anymore, they'll be looking for the government to be able to subsidise that as well. That's just the wrong place to be. We live in a free market economy. We need to go back to those conservative principles and people need to, for their own sakes moving forward, need to understand that they need to become more resilient and they need to be more accountable for their own actions and actually tie and their belts if they need to, right. whilst also understanding that the state needs to be there for those who are less fortunate and it's quite right that we are there for them. And are people going to be better off after the, today's budget or worse off, do you think? Well, I most certainly hope so, Mike. You know me, I will always push for lower taxes. Let's see what the Chancellor has to say. Uh, corporation tax is a big one uh, for me. Small and medium enterprises in particular cannot afford high levels of uh, corporation tax. It's a disincentive to investment, so it will mean that they are not investing for jobs and skills for the future and in technologies and all that sort of thing. So uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'd like to think that the super deduction can continue. Let's wait and see if that uh, happens, particularly for those uh, SMEs that are looking to invest in the future. We keep talking about productivity, don't we? So productivity will only come with investment in high tech and in skills and jobs for the future. And, and, and you can't have it both ways. You can't really tax those companies, which will be a disincentive for them to invest in those very areas. Indeed. Marco, good to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. Marco Longy, Conservative MP for Dudley North, talking just about half an hour away from uh, Prime Minister's questions. We'll be taking you live there, of course, just after midday.
Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. Uh, Nicholas says, hi, Mike. During the lockdown, the IT gurus developed systems so we could work from home. I'm sure you preferred to do that rather than commute. Actually, no, I never worked from home. Um, I was offered the opportunity to do so uh, during COVID, but I always came here. In fact, at one point, I was the only person doing a show live from this studio in the entire building. So, you know, you can say that I should have uh, enjoyed working from home, but I don't want to work from home. I'm not saying everybody has to work from an office. I just think it's better overall, generally speaking, if people do. You know, if you freelance and you want to sit at home with your feet under the table and your slippers on uh, and your shorts and your T-shirt, that's up to you. But I'm telling you, it ain't good for you and it ain't good for the common good. Simple. Let's talk now, though, uh, to Gavin Mortimer, uh, our good friend over in France, because he's written a great piece for The Spectator this week about how Albania's mafia have basically taken over northern Europe. The trafficking business, and that's human trafficking and drug trafficking, and sometimes weapons trafficking as well. And it is a situation uh, that is going to get worse before it gets any better. And of course, it's affecting the migrant problem that we have on the south coast of this country. And it's affecting the massive drug problem we have in this country as well. Gavin, very good uh, morning to you. Welcome. Morning, Mike. Just to say, with the, just if I can say also, with the people trafficking, many of those are sex slaves, young women forced into prostitution across mm. Europe. That's yeah. another point that's yeah. worth making. Well, it feels, it feels for me that this is absolute and utter confirmation of everything I've been saying for quite some time. You know, you've written a piece uh, that, that I know is, is true. You've written a piece which has taken a bit of research to do it. But in the end, you know, you just have to look around and see what's going on in this country. Uh, you see the people being arrested and charged and put through the court system, marijuana growing at an incredible rate, uh, al- almost always Albanian drug gangs. Uh, you see the people being arrested for large amounts of cocaine being trafficked into this country, almost certainly Albanian drug gangs. You see um, something like 40 to 50% of the people coming on boats, young Albanian men, single men. You know, you don't take a rocket scientist to work out what's going on. No, it doesn't. And it's happening across Europe. I mean, it's quite frightening how the Albania Mafia have got a foothold in Germany, in Spain, in Greece, even in Luxembourg, as I mentioned in the article. And now, really, because of the small boats crisis, they've been able to, to come across into Britain. And as we've said before, Mike, I think in, in 2018, 50 Albanian migrants made the journey. Mm. Last year, 12,000, 10,000 of whom were young men between the ages of 20 and 40. And you just have to look and read what the uh, Europol, Interpol, um, Dan, I think his name is Dan uh, Mahoney, who's the, um, if I can just get his title right, he's the clandestine channel threat commander. And he said in October that we're, we're seeing a huge increase in the number of Albanians uh, coming across um, through, you know, connected to the drugs trade. And it's this, I think, it's this, this willful refusal, Mike, of, of, of the pro-migrant lobby to acknowledge that, yes, there are some genuine refugees coming across, but there are a great many who are not genuine refugees. They are economic migrants. Mm. Worse, they are criminals. Well, also, many of those who may well be genuine refugees are probably paying the Albanian gangs in order to get on the boats in the first place, aren't they? Well, Europol um, the, uh, in 2016 said that 90% of people who had come into the EU that year had used an illegal smuggling network and it was generating between five and six billion dollars for the criminal networks. As I said in the piece, um, the Albanian mafia, who are very well organised, very professional, 
um, one of the reasons for their success is that they don't engage in turf wars. They look to partner up with other um, uh, crime families. Uh, the Italian mafia, they're particularly close with. Yeah. Um, and, and again, one of the reasons, Mike, for, for their relatively swift um, rise uh, to take over the, the European criminal gangs is because when Albania, when communism collapsed in 1991, um, there was a, a period of turmoil and many of the secret police uh, had no job, so they went into organised crime, which which filled the gap of communism. Mm. Um, and so there, you know, these are people who are very highly trained, well organised, well disciplined, right. and it shows that 30 years later, they you know they are really beginning to control Europe. And I make the point in the article that um, uh, you know what's happening in Mexico with the Mexican government increasingly, as the former Attorney General William Barr said, that you know the Mexican cartels are beginning to take control of, of Mexico and that must not happen mm. with Albania. No, quite. And you've said that the Mexican cartels and the South American drug cartels are quite friendly as well with the Albanians. That's who they get their drugs from in Europe. Um, and the bottom line as well, as we know, to add even more fuel to the fire, is that there are huge swathes of Albania where there are no young men anymore. You know, people have gone there and done stories on t entire towns that have been emptied because all the young men have actually left for parts of Western Europe. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a crisis too for Albania. And we must stress there are many good, brave people in Albania in crime agencies working. Um, it's called SPAC, which is the anti-corruption unit set up in 2019. It's already charged a, a, an ex-government minister and the ex-chief prosecutor in Albania with corruption. Um, the, uh, no, uh, Albania is a candidate member for the EU, Mike. Uh, and the EU issued a report last October which said that, yeah, progress is slowly being made, but there's a lot of work to do. Mm. I think this is key. And as I mentioned in the article, it's interesting to see how the language of Richie Sunak and, and Suella Bravman has changed in recent months. They, they're talking about breaking the cycle of the criminal gangs. And Macron mentioned it last week in the Anglo-French summit. And that's what Europe needs to do. Mm. It needs to work with Albania to root out corruption and really work at eradicating influence of the mafia. Yeah, absolutely right. Gavin, great to talk to you. We haven't got a lot of time, as much as we normally would have this week, but thank you for that. Um, great piece. I've tweeted it out already. I'll tweet it out again. Uh, Gavin's piece in The Spectator about the, the Albanian mafia, which has now taken control of Europe's trafficking network. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. How about this from Dave in Tokyo? Uh, he says, from originally from Frimley, I'm listening to your show from Tokyo and agree with your previous caller that the work ethic has gone down the pan. It is incredible to see the difference in attitude in Japan and people who take pride in their job, whatever it may be and wherever. Even tipping is not a cultural norm as workers are genuinely glad to be of service. A far cry from the what can you do for me now entitlement that seems to be hardwired in the UK work culture. Well, I'm sorry, it's absolutely true. Ridiculous, isn't it? That's so, in so many other, it's the same in America. When I went to America uh, to work in the 80s, it was such a different attitude. In this country, in the 80s, there wasn't much going on because Margaret Thatcher had just taken over uh, and it was quite difficult to get a job in a lot of different places. But people in this country were kind of jealous 
and looked down on you if you were making money or making a success of yourself when the, the sort of the wide boys of the city first started making some decent money because of the Big Bang. Suddenly it was like, oh, looking down on you, you've got a nice car and put a scratch on it. In America, they said, wow, good on you, you've got a nice car. Well done, I would like a nice car, I'm going to do another job. That's the difference. Justin Urquhart-Stewart's here. You've probably uh, seen a few changes in the old economy over the course of time since Sad you've been like, doing yes. what you've been doing. And old... there is now a, a culture in this country where people would rather not work. It's not, it's not necessarily that they're lazy, but they've just got to have sort of got this idea that, well, work's not really for me. You I don't know. really need to do it. I don't really want to change my life work balance. You but know. A, few, a few years back, that was actually changing. People were wanting to say, I'm going to set up my own business. Yeah. I'm going to have a go and let, let's see what I can try and mm. do to come up with it. But something has happened over yeah. the past few years. This used to be an incredibly entrepreneurial country, yeah. one of the most entrepreneurial. And, 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 and as you know, um, small business in this country is the absolute backbone of the economy. Yeah. But I think if you are a small business in this country, you have been completely beaten and battered down by the red tape, yep. the taxes and all of the madness that this Tory government over the last three terms has done. And all the inflation you're now seeing coming yeah. through on this, the energy costs and things like that, you can sit there and say, why should yeah. I bother anymore? VAT rules, yeah. you know, for people. And now um, a lot of people saying to me that if they are able to do so, they will yeah. move their company no. to Ireland. And that's going because, to happen. Because they don't want to pay 25% corporation you tax. You get from 19 to 25. Uh, per, per, that's per, a lot of money. That is a lot of money. And it's not just the small business. That We need those mm. large companies, those large those large uh, uh, pharma, pharma companies. Yeah. Now, we were, we were the centre for that. And where are they going? They're going to Ireland. They're going elsewhere. We need to be make ourselves looking really dynamic and exciting. Therefore, we also need some leadership which looks dynamic and mm. exciting. Because despite all of this bad news, go to those high-tech hubs around the country and you'll see dynamic businesses. And they need spurring mm. on by leaders saying, actually, we can support you in this. You can be successful. This will be a dynamic country again. Yes, absolutely right. Let's talk a bit about the budget. We're not that far away from it now. Yeah. In fact, uh, less than an hour away from what is likely to be the change. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about some of the things we haven't mentioned yet. You were talking about fiscal drag. That's yeah. one of those phrases I hear all the time. Not a lot of people know what it is. What well, is fiscal drag? Well, it's not cross-rating accountants, but that's a concept <laughs> that could be quite interesting. But basically what they do is they just, they, we're all entitled to, you know, we, we, after an element of uh, income, we don't pay tax and you right. get up to a certain level. After that, tax comes in. And so every year, normally, you'd expect that limit to go up according to inflation or a little bit more. Uh -huh. If you leave it as it was, then actually what happens, more people find themselves going into the tax area. And so what you'll find are people who were actually paying no tax at all suddenly being drawn into paying tax. Those paying a little bit tax suddenly find themselves paying So is this about people who were, say, making less than a certain, like 12,500 or something, yeah. and, and then suddenly start making more? And to making more, and then suddenly they're, they're into the tax right. system. And yet apparently nothing has changed. Mm. All they've done is actually they've just not changed the limit, which would normally go up with right. inflation. So it's a bit of a sort of secret hidden so tax. So effectively, if you went, say, for example, to 15,000, yep. you wouldn't actually get a benefit of 3,000 from no. 12,000 because no. you'd be paying tax, but only presumably at 25%. Yeah, but it's, So you'd lose a quarter of it. Yeah, and it's, but it's, you know, you suddenly sit there and think, oh, I'm going to be better yeah. off. And you think, hang on a second, where did this hidden tax suddenly come yeah, from? Right. And, the, you know, and it's probably worse, I guess, for those going into the upper rate. Well, and the upper, and of course, these days, to pay high rate tax, you don't actually have to be that wealthy. Mm. Again, when uh, Lawson brought this in years ago, and he was uh, talking about 40,000, 45,000, people right. were saying, well, that's, yeah, that's a lot. But now, no, that's not. That's mm. really that's pretty ordinary Well, people stuff. in the NHS are going on strike and saying it's not enough. 
Well, you know, and that's how much they're making. Yeah. Um, what about things like, um, uh, we talked a little bit about pothole money for that. Yeah. Uh, the free childcare is complicated, I guess, and you'd have yeah. to, how would you know how much you're going to get? I mean, how are they going to work that out? I guess it, this is going to be very difficult to actually try and actually see what's happening. I mean, good news is there's going to be benefit for people. The mm. bad news is it's going to cost an awful lot of money to do it. Yeah. And is this actually going to mean, therefore, I'm getting um, relief for this so I can actually now afford to have childcare, yeah. and therefore I'm going off to work? Well, actually, the figures tend to say that's not the case. No. Um, well, also, if you're working less and you have children, why would you suddenly start working more yeah. if you're actually already now better off because you've got some uh, childcare vouchers uh, yes. or whatever it is? So it's, it is going to find itself, uh, mm. I don't think, very safe. And the same way the other end as well, when you're talking about uh, adjusting the pensions cap and things like that, which sounds very interesting, but you had, for those at the top end of the market, particularly the doctors, as we would say, this is a very small mm. group of people. And, you know, this is a large amount, quite complicated amount of work to actually crack a rather small nut. Yes. So, again, you know, they're not really dealing with the, the key issues here. Now, also you've got uh, fuel duty. Well, that looks so that's going to be a little bit more positive. The energy boost, yeah. well, in terms of actually making sure that's going to be sustained for another three months, that'll be a bit more encouraging overall. Yeah. Um, but I'm afraid, uh, no, it is going to be a pretty dull budget. Well, you know, it used to always be about cigarettes and alcohol, didn't it? But yeah. of course, nobody really smokes much anymore. So, no. and I think I think you have to take a mortgage out now if you want to buy a pack of cigarettes. Um, and meanwhile, on uh, alcohol, it says here average bottle of wine set to increase by forty five p. Yeah. I mean, given the amount of increases that have been going on in the past six months, I managed. I would imagine most people who drink wine won't notice that. No, it's what is. What, I have to bear in mind in our country here, we only have really two main taxes. Mm. That is VAT, and the other one is. Is income tax with national insurance, which is sort of roughly the same. Yeah. That accounts for most of it. Even corporation tax, which will be about 50 billion, 60 billion, compared to the others, is nowhere near as, no. as big as those. The rest of them, as you say, all these sin taxes and things like that you've got, but those are the ones that tend to get the headline and tend to affect us most. Mm. Uh, well, in terms affects our emotion towards yes. it. Do we feel positive or not? Right. The best thing we can see is of a chance that says this economy is going to start growing. We're going to be better off, therefore you're going to be better mm. off. Um, if you can get that message across, I'd be quite surprised, then we'll all feel better. I see that £63 million is going to be set aside for a swimming pool fund. Um, I don't know if there's anything to do with Rishi Sunak's swimming pool, uh, which apparently had to be boosted by the local electricity grid in order to keep it warm enough for him and and Mrs Sunak to swim around. Um, But apparently this is going to be to keep swimming pools open for the public. I mean, this is, I find, astonishing. Yesterday, there was a really good bit of news whereby they said, actually, there was a computer company which actually has to employ, uh, spend money to actually cool the computers. So they said, why don't we attach it to a swimming pool? We'll heat up the swimming pool. There you go. By doing that, that's a real, that's a downside. That's forward thinking. That's like uh, the brilliant caller we had earlier who suggested everyone who's waiting to see their GP go down to the local hospital picket line and ask the doctor uh, for some advice. Brilliant. Um, We've got more to come. Justin, thank you very much indeed. The budget uh, less than half an hour away, practically. Uh, Prime Minister's questions even nearer. This is Talk TV. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So if you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.